All right. Welcome to this week's edition of Waking Up the Outdoors at Outdoors. Dan brought you in part by our friends over at Three Rivers Boat and RV Storage down there in Carlisle. Uh, do you need a place to put your boat, your UTV, a trailer, a camper? Well, if you do, why don't you give my friends Tracy Dick and Danielle a call at 515-822-1362. It's only $60 a month. You get a month free when you pay for a year. You get a 12-foot by 50-feet long assigned spot. I mean, that's more than enough. That's way more than I was paying uh, more than that here in Des Moines for. Secure gates, 24-7 access, security cameras, discounts for multiple spots. If you need a, if you need a spot to put your treasure... Uh, give uh, Three Rivers Boat and RV Storage in Carlisle a call, 515-822-1362. Tell them Outdoors Dan sent you. Good morning, Tim. Good morning, Daryl. Good morning, Mark. Good to see everybody on Facebook Live this morning. Good morning, Mountain Man out there in Pennsylvania. Good to see you. So uh, we got a lot to talk about here in the next two hours. We're going to be uh, talking with Iowa DNR biologist Jim Coffey about the turkey season. Uh, we had a lot of people, uh, questions and emails and texts about turkeys. I was actually answering turkey questions live on the show while people were hunting this season, which is kind of crazy. But, um, you know, that's what we're here for. We're, we're a 24-hour access show for you. It's all for you. And uh, so I thought I'd get Jim on to answer some of those questions firsthand. Good morning, Mark Jenkins. We need to go fishing, bud. Yes, we do. Uh, it just, uh, he's, uh, Jim and I actually did a podcast yesterday and I learned a lot. So we're going to kind of rehash some of that here on live on the show. So you can hear it. If you don't get a chance to check out the all outdoors, uh, podcast with Larry Mack and myself, uh, you can do that. Uh, that, that, that podcast actually be up on Tuesday. Andrew is going to get that up on Tuesday. So we'll go from there. Uh, just, I want to thank everybody that wished Jenny a happy birthday last week. Thank you for doing that. That was very kind of you. And I think we're ready to go. Jim's on the line. Let's, let's hop on over to the phones and say hi to Jim. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing great. I talked to you a lot this week. <laughs> it's never enough. There's always more to talk about. I'm telling you, it's crazy. So, you know, um, you know, I was telling everybody, I'm sure you heard me on while you were on hold. Uh, we, we talked a little bit about this on the podcast yesterday, but, um, I was inundated with people from, I mean, it wasn't just Iowa. It was from the show down in Missouri, uh, that I do on Sunday nights on the big Five Fifty down there, or, um, it was, uh, just, uh, my Facebook, f uh, feeds and stuff, you know, Dan, what's going on. I'm not hearing this. I'm not hearing that. Uh, turkeys aren't responding. Where's the turkeys at? I mean, I, I heard it all. And you said you were, it was mirroring some of the things that you were getting down there in Sheridan too. Yeah. Yeah. We've been hearing that. And, uh, and a lot of other turkey biologists across the state are hearing the same thing. And, and it's just kind of, uh, catching up with people that the turkey population has been declining in parts of the state and parts of the United States in general. Um, so now with social media as well, people are starting to talk to each other and saying, Hey, what are you hearing? What am I hearing? And, kind of comparing notes with each other and it's been something that's been concerning us for several years now absolutely good morning chris in pennsylvania good morning tim henning hope you're doing well bud you know jim i, I you know like i said per turkey hunting's a passion of mine i i it took me forever i've been what am i what have i been hunting 33 years now i'm 57 i started really big game hunting when i was in my mid to late 20s so it's at least been 33 years so, um, turkeys, it was one of the, one of the, <laughs> um, Tim quit ripping on, uh, I'm not even going to repeat it. Uh, I got Facebook live people ripping on some, 
Uh, I just, uh, it took me forever to get proficient at, at getting the turkeys in. If, if you could mess up, I mean, that's what I was doing, Jim. I, I was calling too much. I was calling too loud. I wasn't calling in the right cadence. Uh, I wasn't making the right sounds. I mean, turkeys make anywhere from 26 to 28 different vocalizations. If I remember right, you only really need to know a few of them. If you can cluck and yelp and purr, you're going to be pretty You know, you can be pretty successful in calling them in, but it's getting out there and just learning, uh, your, and going through your mistakes is what makes you a better turkey hunter, right? Absolutely. You know, just it's, it's confidence. It's just persistence. And even the best turkey hunters are going to get skunked. You know, I, I would hate to say nine times out of 10, but they're going to get skunked, you know, many days more than they're successful. And so as turkey hunters, we have to kind of learn to redefine success sometimes. And some of my best turkey hunts are, are the days that I don't come home with a turkey in the bag. Um, but I learn every time I go out and, and I just, uh, I stay persistent because I know they're going to frustrate me. Yeah. Well, it's called hunting, not killing, right? That's right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And most people don't realize that when you look at our Iowa statistics, uh, a successful turkey hunter, meaning a bird person bringing a bird home is only about 22% of our, of our hunting population. Right. And that's consistent from year to year to year. So that means, you know, three out of four of us are not bringing a turkey home at the end of the season. Yeah, and the way I look at that, Jim, I mean, if you're able to get a bird to strike and, you know, you're able to, good morning, Kenny Cole, good to see you. Uh, if you're able to get a bird to strike and, and get him to engage with you and, you know, or at least get him close and, you know, that's a success in my book. I mean, it's not filling your tag, but it's a success. I mean, something you can learn. I, I like, you know, this year, and I'm not bragging, folks, so please don't take it that way. It's just, I am proud of this because I never thought I would achieve it, but I, I'm not trying to be arrogant about it at all. Cause I, if you've ever listened to the show, we've been on 25 years, 20 years here in Iowa and 25 down in St. Louis. Since I've been on the air, I've always said I'm living proof that anybody can take a Turkey. So I'm never going to say I'm the world's best Turkey hunter, but, um, I shot my 90th bird with a bow this year. And you know, one of the things that I learned, I keep learning Jim, was um, when I had hens coming in, the how soft they were calling, you know, how how softer they were doing two to three note yelps instead of four to five notes, they were, but it was super soft. And then when I started mimicking that, I got the toms to come right in. I mean, I, that's what really helped me this year where normally I would have done four or five yelps or notes and, uh, you know, kind of kept it soft to medium. But when I went soft and went one or two notes, Man, it, it just totally changed the bird's attitudes, Jim. It was crazy. And and that's being a good hunter, Dan, is that's, you know, you're paying attention to your surroundings. You're paying attention to how the animals are reacting to you and, and you're blending in with them. Yeah. You don't want to be, you don't want to be stand out and be shiny and, you know, um, extravagant. You just want to blend in and be part of their atmosphere and, and let, let the world take, uh, take place and, you, you, what you said is exactly one of the things that I talk to new turkey hunters about a lot is probably one of the biggest mistakes most hunters make is, is we are too aggressive. We want to call way too often and we want to call way too loud. And, and that's just not natural in most cases, um, for wild turkeys. Yeah. And, 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 and I always joke with new turkey hunters is that a turkey's best defense is to run away. And, you know, he's got nothing but time. He's in his home court. So if he doesn't like something, he just runs away. Yeah. And so if you're calling too loud and calling too often, he's like, you know what? I'm just going to go the other direction. I got, I got no time for that. I'll just go over here and see what's happening. Yeah, and, uh, you know, they're finicky. 
They're they're the walleye of birds. I just can't figure <laughs> them out sometimes. Uh, yeah. Hey, good morning, Alex. Good morning, Chris in Pennsylvania. Good to see you, my buddy. Um, hey, so let Jim, let's let's kind of just kind of do a recap here. So uh, I've been an Iowa resident for twenty years this year. So I know growing up in Missouri, you know, the eighties was the heyday for turkeys. I, I, you know, when I first moved up here, I was hearing from all my pheasant upland hunting buddies, you know, you should have been up here in the seventies, Dan. Pheasants were, that's when pheasants were on, you know, in the seventies. So I'm equating that to my turkey experiences in the eighties down in Missouri. I mean, it was, it was pretty easy to go out on public ground or if you had another place, a private place to go hunt. And I'll hoot at night to roost some birds and strike, you know, 10 or, you know, 10 or 12 gobblers or get out there in the morning, you know, and, and hear them firing off on the roost. You know, it's not like that anymore. And there's a bunch of different reasons why. Can you kind of go through what we talked about yesterday? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think the, the first thing we've got to do is kind of set ourselves up with the fact that life changes. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what, we, what we get as a standard and we get to what we think should be what it is isn't always the way it's going to be. And, and last year is a great example of that. You know, who would have thought we would have all been working from home for a, for 365 days. Yeah. You know, there, there's new normals all the time and we adjust to that. Well, it's the same in the wildlife world is, you know, there's, there's a, there's a whole bunch of variables that impact Turkey populations. And we, we as biologists try to look at the ones that we can kind of control and we can kind of, kind of manipulate, but overall it's a big equation. You talk about, you know, habitat and predators and weather and land juxtaposition and farming practices and, and even the social aspect of hunting itself. And all of those things kind of form a, a big ball of turkey management um, that's, that's, that's always evolving and changing. Um, and and one year it's high, and we know that turkeys, you know, an, an old turkey is only about five years old, mm-hmm. and a, a hen's only going to live three or four years. So that population can can change quite dramatically in a very short time. I always talk with people is I'm not too worried about long term averages in general, but what I don't like is when you have three or four or five bad years of nesting in a row because that'll drive a population down really quickly, and yeah. then it takes quite a few years to build that population back up if you've got good nesting conditions yeah all those other other areas absolutely and hey folks we're visiting with jim coffee he's with the iowa dnr he's our turkey biologist here in iowa um i just had a gentleman text me while while you were talking there jim and he goes and we're losing our trappers let's 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 talk about predators we get this out of the way because this is the probably the number one uh good morning alex good morning mudcat uh Corey, thank you for the thank you. Eric Smith, good morning. Uh, Trevor, good morning. Sorry about that, Jim. I got to make sure I say hi to everybody. Um, oh, that's fine. Uh, you know, one of the things that uh, trapping prices are down to some levels that we probably have never seen before. I mean, they're hardly they're hardly there any. But you know, we talked about this yesterday, and you educated me on some stuff. Uh, tell the folks why trapping is important. But if you know, trapping's not the trapping or incentivizing trapping is not the overall answer for right now on, on what we're seeing out there. And can you explain that for everybody, please? Sure. Yeah. And I don't want to ever downplay the, the, the impact of predators. We know that predators are part of the equation um, and, and they do make it fluctuate. The populations fluctuate, but right. we, we get a lot of phone calls that people think that that's the silver bullet. If we had $30 coon prices again, 
everybody be trapping and we'd be really knocking those populations down. So why don't we knock those populations down and, and the turkeys will take off. And, and that sounds really good on paper, but in the biological world, it really doesn't work that way is, is what we know is that when, when we knock one population down, those predators are out there and, and they're not seeking out turkey nests. They're just working themselves across the landscape, looking for food. And, and what we know from a lot of research is that when one predator is down, other predators fill the void. And, right. and we always think of those ground nest predators, you know, the, the big three, raccoons, uh, skunks, and possums, as being, you know, the ones we've got to take care of. But what we forget about is the skunks and the chipmunks and the snakes and, and the squirrels and everything else that eats eggs. And they're all part of the equation. Well, no, you're, and you're right, because that's what I hear. And, you know, and I, I'll be honest with you, Jim. We, you know, I told you this yesterday. Um, I seen, I've seen an abundance of raccoons and skunks in the last th- two or three years. I mean, I, I mean, they're out of, they're out of control, but, um, they, you know, we talked about, you know, management is really the most important thing. And you, you the big three or the thing that we hear the most about is raccoons, skunks, and possums. But you, you know, you just went over, I mean, how many people think about squirrels as nest robbers? I bet you there's a lot of people out there that don't. And then crows, blue jays, you got black snakes. I mean, there's always something out there opportunistic. Is that right? Did I get it right? Um, that's, trying, that's, <laughs> that's trying to eat those eggs. And, you know, um, I, a hens, a hen turkey will defend her nest as much as she can, but, I mean, she's only going to be able to do so much, right? Right, absolutely. And, you know, and, and like we've talked about before is that, you know, Mother Nature has, has built that into the equation as well. She There may be as much as 70% nest. Um, uh, failure right. out of any given year, and and Mother Nature realizes that you know if we had a hundred percent nest success and a hundred percent poult survival, we'd have a we'd have a different conversation right now about what are we going to do with all the turkeys in the world, right? You know, so so those those equations are are built over time. You know, with Mother Nature, is to we're going to put a lot of eggs on the landscape because we only need a few to survive. Right. But if something's shifting that equation a little bit, then, you know, we see populations decline. And what we start to really talk about is how does the nest become successful? It becomes successful when she, when that hen has a good place to lay that nest. You know, she, that habitat is diversified. She can find the place she wants to be. She can be isolated. She can move those poults quickly to a place that's got good uh, bugs, that's got good growth for those poults, and their survival can take place from there. And as we remove those places or those habitats change, you know, again, that's part of the equation. Well, I saw that firsthand on one of my honey holes this year. They, they took the, the switchgrass and stuff out, uh, last fall. And, um, I, I mean, this is a place that I usually am done within. I might get both of my Iowa birds with my bow in the, in a day and a half. I mean, the turkey hunting has been that good. Good morning, Alex. Uh, good morning, Trevor. Good morning, Eric. Good morning, Corey. Good morning, Mudcat. Alex, uh, different Alex. David, good morning, Sherry. How you doing, kiddo? Uh, Rick and James. Paul Butsky. Uh, Jim, do you know Paul Butsky? You know who that is? Sure, absolutely. He's watching us on Facebook Live right now. Isn't it? It's really humbling to have a Hall of Famer watch you on Facebook Live, isn't it? I can't say I've had that happen to me. Well, you have now. <laughs> Paul Paul Busky's in the National Wild Turkey Federation Hall of Fame. I and he's a, he's just a good guy. Um, but I, when when they took out that switchgrass, Jim, um, I noticed that I just didn't see the turkeys or hear the turkeys. Um, 
And uh, it just uh, they they did exactly what you said. If they if there's not good nesting habitat there, what they did is they moved about a quarter of a mile, half mile south where there was. So I saw what you just said firsthand this year. Yeah, and and that's one of the problems we run into, and I, I want to call it a problem, is that when we deal with Iowa landowners, a lot of our parcels are actually pretty small. Yeah, and so a habitat manipulation on one landowner can cause birds to shift off the property, and now we don't have access to them anymore. And so, um, you know, the biggest thing that that manipulates habitat in Iowa is, is no surprise: it's agriculture, and and agricultural commodity prices are going to shift farm programs and shift attitudes. Um, and that's that's just something that we've had to learn to deal with over time. And, and we know that agriculture has been changing for the last 100 years in Iowa. And who knows what it's going to bring into the future. Yeah. Uh, Paul says you're spot on, Jim. So there you go. Um, I appreciate that. Yeah, you're, he's a, <laughs> My I, education is paying off. I told you he's a good guy. Well, and you listen, you know, here's another thing, too, that most people don't think about when, you know, them hens, when they're starting to nest and stuff, they're wanting to put into an area that's got a lot of bugs because when that pulled hatches, what uh, what did you tell me the other day? They they get maybe two, one and a half, two to two and a half days of, of protein or, or sustainability from that egg yolk or egg sac. And they've yeah, got to have, got yeah, they've got to have food. And if they don't have food, then poults are not going to survive. So, so we get criticized as biologists a lot because we talk about weather and, 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 you know, no one can control the weather. If I could, I wouldn't be working for the DNR. That's for sure. All right. But it's, it's the fact that that egg is hatching and, she, and that, that hen has got to move those poults away from the nest. So we're moving. There's always death in movement. That mm. poults only got a couple of days of, 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 of oak uh, yolk reserves left. That's that food. It's burning off. It's growing tremendously fast. And then look at the weather we've had. You know, low temperatures. The turkeys got to thermoregulate. They got to stay warm. They're walking through wet grass. You know, you go out right now with your socks on and walk around for six or eight hours and tell me you're not going to be cold and burn a lot of energy. Oh. And so, and, and this this is not conducive to to bugs growing. You know, there's not a lot of insects out there right now, which is kind of a good thing if you're a turkey hunter. You know, we we uh, we always like it when the bugs aren't bothering us too much. But at the same time, that's the food. That's the food they need right now. And then if that hen's got to move those poults to find those bugging areas, that's, again, moving across the landscape, being wet, thermoregulating. You know, life is tough. It's, it's, the cards are stacked against that young colt. Absolutely. Folks, we're visiting with Jim Coffey, Iowa DNR turkey biologist. I got to, Jim, hang on. I got to take a real quick break. Scotty Hendershot up in New York City. Good to see you, buddy. Uh, Sherry, uh, different Sherry. How you doing, Sherry Taylor? Uh, We'll be right back on 1350 ESPN. You're listening to Outdoors Dan on 1350 ESPN. All right, welcome back to Waking Up the Outdoors at Outdoors Dan on 1350 ESPN. My guest is Iowa Department of Natural Resources biologist Jim Coffey. Jim's kind enough to come on and talk a little turkeys. I want to thank Eric up at Ray's Marine. I got a really nice call this week. Uh, I, I guess I've been talking about Eric and Ray's Marine too much up there because he uh, he said he's had seven of you listeners call him in the last week about boats and buying boats up in in Grand Rapids, Minnesota. He goes, I don't know what you're saying, but thank you. It's been it's been great. My phone's been burning up. So thanks everybody for doing that. I appreciate that. Uh, and hey, sponsor of the week, Advanced Family Dentistry. Why wouldn't they be? Doctor Scott Obi Wan Kenobi Yagi, Doctor Williams, Doctor Brandt, Doctor Stewart. Uh, helping us do that uh, whitetail hunt to Triple H Outfitters down in Kansas. Uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. Obi-Wan Kenobi Yegi 
uh, purchase that for the Lacey uh, benefit that we're going to be doing June 12th for the Milo Locker. So thanks to everybody over there at Advanced Family Dentistry in Ankeny. So, hey, Jim, uh, we kind of we went around the barn a little bit on, on you know, predators and stuff like that. Another question that I've been getting is, should we as hunters maybe think about going to one bird or getting rid of the fall seasons? And, you know, to me, the fall seasons, I don't know if there's enough participation really to make a difference if we would cancel that, is there? So that's really the big issue is exactly that, Dan, is, is we provide as much opportunity as we can um, to Iowa hunters and, and most other states do the same. And when we look at when we look at our harvest numbers in most counties, we're not harvesting many many birds at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and like we've talked about in the past, is in, in Iowa, a, a big county in the fall may register ten birds for the whole county. For the whole county. For the whole county, right? Yeah. And so we're only harvesting about four or five hundred birds a year in Iowa in the fall. And uh, and if if half of those birds are young of the year or, or potentially hens, and half are males. You know, we're only talking about five birds in a county, and many counties won't even register a bird in the fall. Yeah. So if we if we eliminate that fall season, we're really just taking some opportunity away from hunters, and and probably not going to see a big game changer. Um, you know, in the population, uh, especially at the local level. So so we just make that decision right now. Is um, you know, we're we're not going to pursue that avenue in Iowa, and most other states aren't because it's not going to be the thing that changes it. And what we're kind of afraid of, as I hate to say this, is an agency that if we do make that regulation change, it's going to affect about 7,000 people that, that, that hunt in the fall, and they're going to expect us to say, okay, well, we'll give up our turkey hunting, and then we're going to see the population change. And it's probably not going to happen. So we're kind of giving turkey hunters a false narrative that, you know, we're going to make this regulation change in your benefit, and then there's no result. And then, so what, was, and then what about going to one bird in the spring in areas in Iowa in, 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 uh, units or, um, or what zones that are, where the, you guys know that the populations are down. What about that, Jim? Yeah, that's always an option we can do. And typically it's again, with turkeys, it's not something that we really consider to be a viable, opula- po- a viable population, mm-hmm. um, narrative again, because the males tend to be considered the excess. Is that we can we have multiple males that are that are not being used on the landscape or, or excess animals that can be harvested because we know that one male um, or a few males will breed most of most of all the hens in an area. So then it kind of comes down to the social side of it is you know is that what's greedy or should we not let people take more than one bird off public land to kind of spread that around to more people and. And, uh, you know, that gets into the social side of turkey hunting more than the population biological side of it. Yeah. Well, you know, like I said, until you you explained that to me, I really didn't, I didn't understand that. I thought if we saved, I mean, what's, uh, what's the, what was our harvest this year total? Uh, about 11,600 is what was registered this year. Okay. And that's going to fall, that's going to fall right in our five-year average. We had a big spike last year. Um, like most states did, and, and we we're calling that the COVID response. Is that um, you know pe- the COVID pandemic hit right in March last year, and and that coincided well with turkey season. And a lot of people said, "Hey, I'll socially distance myself by going out there and turkey hunting." Yeah, and and we saw a lot more participation, and we saw a, a greater harvest last year. Well, I mean, last year was goofy anyway. I mean, we had that snow. Remember first the first yeah. se- first season I was hunting in five six inches of snow freezing. You know, yeah, I definitely remember that. Yeah. So, so we didn't have that this year, but yeah. you know, the, I, the other thing to keep in mind too, Dan, is is that um, when we're looking at turkey populations, the the turkeys that are really the most vulnerable 
to the to the hunter or to the two year old gobblers. Right. And so we've got to be looking at the production, the the nesting success, and the poult survival from two years ago. Mm-hmm. And in some parts of the state, that was down tremendously two years ago. So there's going to be less birds on the landscape. You know, those those, those two year old birds are the ones that gobble. They're the ones that move. They're the ones that are vulnerable to the bird and, or to the gun, and and they're the ones that kind of give us some of those exciting hunts. Yeah, and I don't know what Missouri's doing. I know Kansas in some zones went to one bird. Uh, where I hunt, they they were still at two, but I, I just had one. Um, and then where did you tell me that they were saying uh, that you could not, you had to take a long beard, you, you weren't allowed to take jakes? Was that Arkansas? Yeah, so Arkansas has had a, a no jake um, rule for about three years now, I think. And, uh, and that was kind of that response to, you know, we as turkey hunters kind of um, – we, we like to shoot those long beards. We like to shoot birds that are goblin and, and the, the hunters themselves have kind of said, Hey, you know, we're shooting these jakes and they're never getting to be old birds. So, so they put that regulation in place to try to push those jakes through to that two year old stage. Um, and then they're really vulnerable at that second year, of course. I gotcha. Yeah. All right. Hey Jim, can I have you hold through one more break, please? Absolutely. Okay. We'll be right back with Jim coffee and waking up the outdoors at outdoors, Dan on 1350 ESPN. It's Outdoors Dan on 1350 ESPN. All right, welcome back to Waking Up the Outdoors with Outdoors Dan on 1350 ESPN. Hope everyone's having a great Saturday all across the good old U.S. of A. My guest is uh, Mr. Jim Coffey from the Iowa Department of Natural Resources. He's our turkey biologist there. Uh, down in the Sheraton area is where his office is. Uh, hey, uh, Jim, let's, let's talk a little bit about uh, reporting. What percentage of folks does the DNR believe? Do you have do you have a grasp or a feel for how what the reporting numbers actually are as far as people doing it right? So that's something we're really working on. That's something all of the biologists in the nation are are working on um, is that compliance. We uh, used to do a postcard survey, and we we estimated about seventy five percent of people were responding uh, appropriately uh-huh. and now with the new electronic system we're we're reevaluating that so we don't have a good hold um, we work off the assumption that people follow the law which is they'll report their their harvest and uh, so we report what what gets reported on our system um, but we know that's not completely the accurate picture yeah you know and i i was i put some, a post on Facebook this week and I said you know I was looking over my 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 hunting career. And I remember when I first started uh, the, for the first decade or so, we still had check-in stations down in Missouri. Now, I know Iowa did not have check-in stations. But, I mean, if you've, if you've ever been around a situation where there were check-in stations, I mean, I loved it. I mean, you got a chance to visit with hunters. You got a chance to see some of the deer that was coming in from the area. You got to hear great stories. You got, the, you, know, you got a chance to meet some hunting buddies. Uh, not only not only for the social aspects, but you know you had to go and actually report your deer and sign sign it in and everything. Um, and then you know the game wardens like to come out there and you know they were there checking licenses and you know just making sure everybody was compliant. But the the other side of the coin of that, what what I really liked about it was it economically helped so many people, so many mom and pops that were gas stations or archery shops or gun stores or, um, you know, grocery stores, just different areas, um, you know, depending where you were that, you know, when the hunters came in there, you know, they would buy a pop, they would buy a piece of breakfast pizza, or they would, you know, get a sandwich or 
jerky or you know it was there were you know everybody was benefiting from it jim and i really missed those man because uh, to me i think i think our reporting was better when we had something like that myself that's just my opinion but i think it was better well and back in those days you know again technology has advanced quite a bit and in those days we didn't have the ability to to call in the same way we do and and then all the things you talked about are the great aspects of the social side of check stations mm -hmm. but now with busy lives and cell phones and the internet and i think last year 97 98 percent of our turkeys were checked in on cell phones oh i i um, believe so, that yeah, yeah but you know and, and the, uh, well, technology's, yeah technology is not always good jim <laughs> <laughs> no, no, well, it, it is and it isn't, um, you know, because we, we don't want to be a burden upon people, but yet what we really want to emphasize to people is when we require you to check that bird in mm -hmm. or check that deer in, you, you're helping the hunting community. Mm -hmm. You're helping us as biologists collect information that's going to allow us to, you know, work on that population to, to bring it up or to try to bring it down, especially with deer in certain areas. Um, by reporting that and telling us what you're harvesting. It's, it's not because we're trying to be nosy big brother. I'm not going to, you know, go out and say, well, you know, last year, Dan, he checked this, and, and this is, you know, he's not a very good hunter because he didn't shoot a deer for two years. Yeah. It's it's collecting information that says this is what's happening. And without that, we don't know that turkey populations are declining without, you know, following up with additional surveys or, or talking with more people and saying, yeah, are you really seeing that happen in your county, or is that just what you think is happening? in your county. And so that reporting is, is so critical to helping us build models and understand what's happening on a big landscape. I mean, I don't get to 99 counties in a year. There's no doubt about that. I wish I could. I'd love to hunt 99 counties in a year. Um, but I'm kind of stuck with my own little world and what I see and what I know. And, and I have to rely on a lot of outside information to, to help me make decisions. Yeah. Oh, I, I agree with you on a convenience uh, standpoint. I, I believe that it is in electronics, the electronic check-in is great. I, I just, I, I just really, I think what you said was apropos because people need to understand that's how the seasons are based. That's how quotas are based. If you don't have the, all the correct information, you know, things are not being managed properly. So it's, it's vitally important that people know that you, you know, they're the, they're the best barometer for, for what you guys are trying to do uh, at the DNR. So it's very important that we make sure we report everything. It is, and, and I think the thing that I always like to emphasize is that, that we're hunters, too. And, you know, we tend to be conservative because we want to make sure those populations are healthy and sustainable, but we're always going to try to edge towards the side of providing as much opportunity as we can to people. Yeah. We want people to be outside enjoying the resources, and when they're providing us good information, that's going to allow us to allow them to use those resources. Yeah, but if we don't have that information, we're going to be very conservative. Right. Well, it just helps everybody if everybody's, you know, w you know, cause like I said, we, we need to make sure we let everybody knows what's going on in the field. So, and social media, yeah, I mean, social media is, is one thing too. I mean, I, you look how many people are using that saying, Hey, where's, where's the birds? You know, I, I don't know how many posts I saw like that this year. So, right. Yep. Yeah. And, and years ago we wouldn't have had that connectivity, Right. you know, it would have been, been a news article that came out three months later and in a magazine that talking about, you know, I didn't shoot as many turkeys as I have in the past and a couple of guys talking about it. And now it's almost instantaneous and they could say, Hey, you know, in Southern Iowa, we saw this and in Northeast Iowa, we saw that and people are connected much more. And, and we know that, that hunters travel much more than they used to as yep. well. So it's, it's kind of the old adage, you know, as many hands make small work. And if, if everybody's lifting just a little bit, 
you know, they're actually helping that whole turkey population, you know, lift higher. Yeah. So we always ask the hunters to participate as much as possible. Yeah. Hey, one more thing before I let you go. I I get this too. I've had, I don't know how many people, at least a half a dozen people this year saying, well, if the turkey numbers are down, that's good. That means we're going to have more pheasants. Would you please tell our quail, (laughs) would you please tell people that turkeys are not out there predating on, on quail? Yeah, that's that's a common thing we hear in Iowa and other states here. With whatever other species they have, yeah, you know, it's always turkeys are the bad guy. And and all I ever say is that birds respond to habitat. Turkeys, and if if you're seeing a decrease in pheasants in area, look at look at the trees, look at the woody habitat. It's probably changed over the last twenty years. Yeah. Um, they're all looking for a good place to nest. They're they're not competing with each other and stomping on the eggs like the, we hear the rumors of. So um, that's just a rumor that I'm, I've I've come to my conclusion will be around forever. And no matter how much we say it, we can't convince people that it's going to change. Yeah. Well, I've actually got friends in Mississippi and Georgia that you know they got trail cameras set up where turkeys and and quail and stuff are right next to each other. The the quail. Sure. Yeah, I mean, the, and the turkeys aren't bothering them. No, yeah. they're, they're, they're just trying to do their job. Right. It's, it's like you and me, we get up every day, we put our pants on and we do our job and we're trying not to worry about how other people are, are doing theirs. Just everybody's trying to do the right thing so they can go home at night. And, and that's the same thing with birds is I'm going to go out, find my nest, lay my eggs. I don't have time to run around and try to, you know, harass other birds and see that my birds are more successful than yours. You know, I just got to, I got to lay on this clutch and incubate and then get them to some bugs. Yeah. That's yeah. my job. Well, most of the time I work from home, so I don't have to wear pants. So <laughs> that's too much information. Dan. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. My wife is going, Daniel, I can't believe you. I can see my wife rolling her eyes right now. Just as I said that. Hey Jim, it's always a pleasure having you on, man. Uh, thank you so much. And, uh, you know, I, I appreciate it. if I have questions or whatever, and I, you're always great about me calling down there and, and asking you and bugging you and everything. So thanks for everything. We really appreciate you from the show here. Well, yeah. And I just let everybody know, I, I love turkeys and, and I always love talking to turkey hunters and knowing what's going on and what they're seeing and what they're hearing. And so if anybody's got any questions, feel free to give me a call down at the Sheraton office. My phone number's in the regulation booklet and I'll talk turkeys with anybody. Yeah, Absolutely. Hey, uh, Jim, can we get you back on before the fall hunting seasons? Anytime. All right, buddy. I'll check in with you after the 4th and see what you're doing, okay? Sounds great. Thanks, Jim. Have a great weekend. You too. Thank you. There he goes, Jim Coffey. Super nice dude right there. 744 and some change. Do you know what these four words mean? Juno, sword, gold, and Omaha. If you don't, I encourage you to look those up and see what the significance is on those, will you? All right, we'll be right back on 1350 ESPN. This is Outdoors Dan on Des Moines Sports Leader, 1350 ESPN. Hi, welcome back to Waking Up the Outdoors at Outdoors Dan on 1350 ESPN. Hope everyone's having a great Saturday all across the good old yesterday. Giving Back Outdoors is going to have their big event June 12th at the Horizon Event Center in Clive. Um, Jeremy and my buddy, Jeremy is giving me a table. Uh, it's up to eight people. How would you like to go have prime rib on me? Um, I got to figure out how to do this. So I'm going to be working on this in the next week, uh, to figure out how we can register people to call in. And, uh, would you like to come and have dinner with me at a, at a, uh, event? Um, or, you know, maybe I could just give the whole table away. You know, I'll, we'll figure it out. If I, if I'm going to be home on the 12th, I'd like to go. 
so uh, we can have a little uh, little little uh, little uh, fellowship out there. But this is a great event. They're going to have country music artists there, Matt Williams. They've got uh, Purple Heart recipients there that are going to give testimonials. Uh, they're going to have live auctions, door prizes. And basically, if you don't know what Giving Back Outdoors is, this is an organization that's dedicated to providing opportunities for veterans, youth, first responders, mobility impaired, and other underserved individuals experience hunting and fishing, hiking. They take them out there and do all that sort of stuff. It's just a good cause. Uh, is he got him on? Uh, let's put him on hold. Um, so if you want to, if you'd like to come out to the event, it's June 12th at the Horizon Event Center. Table sponsors are still available. Uh, for a thousand bucks, you can be a table sponsor. You get eight eight seats, prime rib for everybody, two drink tickets per person. You get table signage, website, social media recognition, and door prizes. If you want to find out, just look up Giving Back Outdoors on Facebook or message me, and I'll give you Jeremy's phone number, and uh, we'll go from there. Hey, let's go see on the phones real quick. I want to say hi to one of our listeners and say hi to Victor. Hi, Victor. Hello, Dan. Good morning to you. Good morning to you. Hey, did you hear the news? I just did. Thank Dan, you. You are you you're going to use that Bob's Milwaukee Tool uh, drill set? You're going to have fun with that? Oh, I'm going to have a lot of fun with it. All right. Well, congratulations, man. Thank you very much. Well, I appreciate you listening, and I'll give uh, I'll give Bob and everybody a holler over there. Um, can you give me till Monday or Tuesday? And but after that, you should be able to go pick it up during normal business hours. Yes, I will be fine. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, I'll tell him. I'll call him today. I promise. Okay. Alrighty. Congrats. Thank you very much. Hey, Have hey, a great day. Hey, Victor. Make sure you just bring a photo ID with you. Okay. Okay. No problem. Thank you, buddy. All right. Bye bye. There goes Victor. Hey, another another satisfied listener right there. How about that? Yeah. Oh, what do we got? We got three minutes. I can't do the fishing reports in three minutes. Sportsman's Warehouse fishing reports, Arrowhead Lake, Black Crappie, uh, Crappie are fair, minnows on jigs producing the best uh, fish, Blackhawk Lake, water's uh, about 60, 61 degrees, about two feet clarity, Black Crappie are good, uh, Town Bay and around the fish house along Ice House Point and the marina are the best inch, uh, places to find crappie. Bluegill are slow. Eyes are fair. Yellow perch are fair. Largemouth bass are fair. Brushy Creek water levels are still about two and a half feet down. Yellow perch is fair. Use crawlers or minnows on a jig near shore in five to ten feet of water. Some sorting is needed. A crappie bite is good. Bear two jigs. Small jigs with tip with a minnow under a bobber producing fish. Gills are fair. Walleye are slow. Bass are good. North Twain Lake. I'm sorry. North Twain Lake. The black crappie bite is fair. Uh, tube jigs or minnow fished under a jig or on a small jig under a bobber producing fish along the shore and docks. Channel catfish are fair. Walleye are fair. Storm lake, black crappie bite is fair. Tube jigs, jigs, small minnows under a bobber near shore. Yellow perch are fair. Catfish are slow. Walleye are fair. Big hollow lake. Uh, water temperature is about 60, 61 degrees. Water clarity is fair. Crappie bite is good. Bass is uh, is fair. Work with the shallows on the north side for feeding bass on a nice sunny day. Males are moving in shallow. Gills are fair. Iowa River, uh, Iowa, the Iowa River mostly recovered from the wild water level jump caused by last weekend's rains. Channel catfish bite is fair. Lake Belvedere, bass are good. Crappie are good. Gills are fair. Lake Darling, 59 to 61 degrees, varying. Uh, water clarity is about 24 inches. Uh, bass are fair, crappie are good, gills are good. Lost Grove Lake, the forecast for lighter wind should allow anglers to get back out on the fish. Largemouth bass is good. 
crappie are good. Skunk River, catfish bite is fair there. Uh, Big Creek, walleye bite is good. Black crappie bite is fair. Crappie are starting to spawn down there. Uh, Largemouth bass on the Boone District farm ponds are good. Well, Des Moines River, Sailorville to Red Rock. The walleye are fair. Wipers are fair. Don Williams Lake, black crappie bite is good. Try live minnows and uh, fish near submerged trees. Red Rock Reservoir, the right crappie bite, white crappie bite is fair. Plastics near rock, riprap, or wood are the places to try, and the white breast arm. Uh, rock Creek Lake, white crappie bite is good there. Three Mile Lake, courtesy docks have been installed. Walleye bite is fair. Jigs tip with a nightcrawler or leech is producing a good bite. Largemouth or bass bite is fair. Black crappie is fair. 12 Mile, uh, the docks are in at the main lamp, lamp ramp. Black crappie bite is good. Bass are fair. Try brush piles or rocky areas to find the most fish. Hey, I got the fishing report in. I did it. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> fishing report brought to you by your friends at Sportsman's Warehouse up in Ankeny. Go tell them I said hi. All right. All right, we got to take a break. We come back. We're going to talk guns. Uh, we got Dave Bloom from JLM Guns calling in for gun talk. So we'll be right back on 1350 ESPN. You're listening to Outdoors Dan on 1350 ESPN. Standard music right there on 1350 ESPN. So uh, uh, we got uh, Dave from uh, GLM Guns. Uh, we're going to be talking with him. Is that dinner and Milo the same day? Yeah, Kenny, the, actually the Milo benefit and you need to call Dave. The Milo benefit and the uh, J or the... Uh, the uh, giving back outdoors is all the same day. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just waiting for Andrew to call our guest. I don't know what he's doing over there. He's like pulling back, goes over to the phone, pulls back. I don't, it's just like, I don't know what we're going to do with him. I don't know. So, uh, second hour is brought to you by the fine folks at elite archery. Have you taken the shootability challenge yet? If you haven't, please go see my friends at archery field and sports or Sportsman's warehouse. Tell him I said, hi, I was out there visiting Mark the other day. He had a bunch of uh, people ordering elite stuff there. And I know Sportsman's is doing pretty well with all the stuff with the elite bows and everything over there. It, the set technology is what makes those elites, the elite feel. Once you go and pull that bow back, if you try the, if you try the encore, if you try the remedy, you could try the, uh, the cure, you could try, um, the ember. Uh, those are four great bows for you to go try. And no matter what your budget, they can get you into one of those economically. And I promise you, you're going to enjoy shooting your bow. I love mine and you will love yours as well. Matter of fact, I just donated two of my bows, uh, to the Milo locker benefit. I gave my encore, which I shot my turkeys with on respect the game TV. And I gave my cure up that I shot my elk in Colorado on respect the game TV last year. So both those bows have been on national TV. So you can win those or bid on them uh, for that Milo Locker benefit on June 12th. How about that? Let's go to the phones, and we're going to go say hi to our buddy Dave over at Jail on Guns for a little gun talk. How you doing, Dave? Doing just fine, and you? I'm good. He cheated you. He didn't do the Rifleman theme. He, he, yeah, did, <laughs> did, did you have... Where? We need to renegotiate my contract because that's clearly well, he, a violation. Well, he just played it, so there you go. He, he redeemed himself. So... So how are things at GLM? You guys busy? We are busy. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Yeah, well, that's good. 
So let's talk a little bit about a couple different things. First off, um, you were telling me about something that just got signed. Can we can we go over that real quick? Yeah. So um, you know, one of the things that was a big news about a month ago was that the governor of Iowa signed into a into effect that starting July first, you no longer have to have a permit to carry issued by the state, issued by your local sheriff to conceal carry. Okay. So commonly referred to as um, constitutional carry, mm-hmm. which basically means if you can own a gun, you can carry a gun. You don't have to have special permission to be able to carry it. Okay. So that's, that's starting July 1st. So well, the-, the big question that everybody has is, does this mean that I, don't, that I can just come in and buy a gun? And the answer is, well, not necessarily. You still have to run a background check or I still have to run a background check. So as the FFL, as the gun store owner, I have to run a background check on everybody. And mm-hmm. that happens one of two ways. Either I call the FBI, and it's called a NICS check, N-I-C-S, a NICS check, and I call them, and that can be an instantaneous approval. It could be, hey, nope, we're on delay. We have to wait for five days to see if it gets approved or it could be denied. The other way I run a background check is you show me a card issued by Polk County Sheriff, Warren County Sheriff, Dallas County Sheriff, whoever the sheriff is where you live, and that's the background check. So while technically you don't have to have a card to purchase a handgun and to carry that handgun in the state of Iowa, our recommendation at the gun store is if you're going to buy more than one gun in your life, go ahead and get the card because it makes it a whole lot simpler Mm -hmm. and um, much much easier when it comes to purchasing a gun. The other thing that's interesting is that uh, there's about 36 states in the union that reciprocate with Iowa for the concealed carry. So you drive to Kansas and you get pulled over or, or someone finds out that you have a gun and they ask you for your permit. I can pull out my Iowa issued concealed carry permit and I'm good to go. The question is, and we're not really sure what the answer to this is right now. What happens if you go to Kansas, they say, Hey, you have a gun. Let me see your permit. And you can't show them anything because in Iowa, it no longer requires that permit. What are they going to do? So we're not sure about that because we haven't got any rulings from the reciprocating states on saying, hey, here's how we're going to treat Iowa, which doesn't require a permit to carry in our state, which does require a permit. We we just don't know how that's going to end up. But I do know that if you have the permit, you can carry in 36 other states and there's no questions. I like having a permit because just for the simple fact, if I come into JLM guns in which I do, uh, and I buy a, if I buy a firearm, um, or if I go to another gun dealer, all I got to do is just, if I'm traveling, if whatever, uh, I can just present my card and I just fill out, I fill out the little, uh, the little federal sheet, answer my questions. And I can actually walk out that day with my firearm. Makes it super simple. And so yeah. again, if you were going to buy one gun, in your whole life. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, then it doesn't matter if it takes an extra 20 or 30 minutes and you're delayed by five days or whatever. It's, if that's the one gun you're going to purchase in your life. But most people who come into JLM come in and the first question out of their mouth is, well, I got to see if there's something else in here. I got can't live without. <laughs> <laughs> so most of the people are buying multiple guns and just get the, just keep getting the card. There's no reason not to, they're not going to stop issuing the cards. that it's not like that's done. It's just now you don't have to have, it. it's not mandated. So if you get your if you get your concealed carry permit and then it's up for renewal, what do you have to do to renew it once you have it? Yep, you just go online to your local sheriff uh, within 30 days of the expiration date or within 30 days after, 
and apply, and they typically just issue you a brand new one. Okay. So it's very simple. Okay. Well, there, there you go. Now, what what do you do if you're selling a gun? If you if you if you're wanting to sell a firearm, what should you do to make sure that you're protected? And the reason I say that with with some of the stuff I've seen in the media and everything else, um, I I want to make sure if I sell a firearm that you know if some if some somebody does something nefarious with it after I sell it, I want to make sure I'm not going to be held responsible. So what's the best way to do that, Dave? Yeah. So a little backstory on that. The only time the government, and think federal government, local government, whoever, authorities, know about a gun is if it's used in some sort of crime and they recover it and they find a serial number. Mm -hmm. So let's say they found a Smith & Wesson shield that was used in a homicide. They will go back to Smith & Wesson and say, hey, here's the serial number. When did you make it and who got it? And Smith and Wesson will say, yep, this is the date we made it. And we sent it to Sports South. Sports South is a big distributor. The, the, the government, whoever the investigating body, will now go to Sports South and say, hey, you, here's the serial number. Who did you sell this to? And they'll say, we sold that to JLM Shooter Supply. They'll come to me and say, hey, here's the serial number. Who did you sell this to? And I'll say, here is the individ- name of the individual, the person that I sold it to. And it's called a trace. That first of all, everybody's always worried about the government knowing what guns you have. Trust me, the government has no freaking clue what guns you have. It is impossible for them to know. The only time they need to know is if they're doing a trace. Right. So as a private citizen, so let's just say I sold that gun to you. The FBI, the local sheriff, whoever, the DOJ, whoever's doing this investigation is going to come to you, Dan, and say, Dan, on such and such a day, you purchased this gun from JLN. Do you have this gun? And you're going to be like, no, I don't have this gun. They're going to say, then who did you sell it to? And you're going to be like, I don't know, some dude in a parking lot at Walmart. Well, guess what? You are going to be in big trouble if that dude was not allowed to own a gun and he used it in a crime. So, well, so that, what is, that's what I'm so, saying. So what's so the best way to protect yourself? Yeah, how do I do that? First of all, the easiest way is to sell it to a gun shop. Okay. Because then you have no problem. Gun shop can own a gun. It's on them to handle anything beyond that. It's on them to handle all the appropriate paperwork. No concerns. If you are going to sell it to an individual, it's on you to make sure that they can legally own a gun. How do you do that? Well, I would ask to see their permit to carry. If they have a permit to carry, they can legally own the gun. And if it's not expired, so I would take a picture of their driver's license and I would take a picture of their permit to carry. And I would have a bill of sale that said on such and such a date, I sold this gun with this serial number to this person, he attached you know, permit to carry driver's license and you both sign it. So that way, when the FBI comes to you and says, Hey, where did you sell a gun? You pip, whip out those two pieces of paper and say, here's the guy I sold it to. Here's the day I sold it to him. Here's his address. Then you're covered. So the problem comes is what if he doesn't have a concealed carry permit or some sort of permit that shows you that he's legally able to carry a gun, then you're taking some risk, very small risk, but you are taking some risk to sell a gun to somebody who you can't prove is legal to own a gun and it's on you as the seller. It's always on the seller to make sure you're selling the gun to somebody who can own a gun. Well, can't you, can't, can't you say like if I was selling one to Andrew, couldn't I have, couldn't I send Andrew down to JLM and have you guys do a next report and stuff on him? And then that way I know he's, he's able to have that. Yep. You could do that. Yep. Okay. And what do you do? Do you give him like a form or something? 
know, we would just run a background check um, based off of the, you know, the 4473 that we fill out. And then we would have the thumbs up or thumbs down. And so you would get, you could have a number because they give us a number that says, hey, this number is the confirmation of it. Okay. Well, that makes sense to me, Dave. I mean, you know, I, I, before I would do that to somebody that I didn't, I, first of all, I probably would never sell anything unless I really knew that person. But I mean, Hey, how, how do you really know somebody sometimes? I mean, you never know what somebody's hiding from you. I, I would want to have documentation because I would never want something to be not somebody knocking on my door six months later. You know, I would rather be overcautious. That's just how I am, you know? Yeah. And, and then, it, then it really gets tricky if you start uh, selling it out of state. Because technically, you can't be you can't ship firearms from private individual to private individual, right? So, so if if you're not doing it uh, an in person deal, it gets really tricky, and that's when you're like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do well, any of that stuff. So, I always just use you know what I do. I I don't I've never sold a gun to anybody. I just usually go and trade it in. <laughs> it's just like okay, I want something different. Yeah. I'm you know that's what I've yeah, done the last four or five I've had. And that's, and that's honestly the safest and best way to do it. Now, some people would argue, well, the gun shop's not going to give me as much money for it as my friend will because the gun shop has to buy it wholesale versus give, sell it to my friend who can buy it at a retail price. And that's absolutely true. So as long as you're okay with the risk, you may get a little bit more money um, selling it to uh, an individual than selling it to a gun store without, that, with, you know, without a question. Right. Well, but you also get the sense of security that you don't have to worry about it no more either. That. And, and if that, and, and you know, and, and I would say that's worth a couple bucks. I, I guarantee you anything I don't have to stress about is worth a lot of worth a lot to me. I'm telling you. Hey, so, so what's a ghost gun? So a ghost gun is a gun that hasn't been completed technically by the manufacturer and mm-hmm. therefore doesn't have to have a serial number. Okay. And I keep hearing about all these ghost gun stuff on the, on the, when I, whenever I do watch the news, I don't, I try not to watch it, but I've heard it out several times. So what's all the bugaboo about this stuff now? Is it because well, people the, are people are making them or? Yeah. So the ability of a common individual to manufacture a gun is getting easier and easier with all the technology that's out there. And if you don't have a gun that's manufactured by Smith and Wesson or whoever, that doesn't have a serial number, the federal government never has the ability to trace it. It can't be traced. Okay. So that's what the government's were right now the number of ghost guns that are out there is more than it used to be, but it's still a tiny, tiny, insignificant fraction of the total number of guns that are out there. So most of the time when politicians are talking about ghost guns, it's a straw man argument. It, it, it's a pretend problem that doesn't exist. Now, it is more of a problem, it's, it, depending on how you look at it, than it used to be 20 years ago. Um, but, Ghost guns generally in and of themselves are not, they're not an issue. No one's using ghost guns for, you know, mass, mass murders. I mean, it's just, it's just not happening. Is, is this but, what, is this like a 3d printer thing, Dave? Um, you could do, you could, you know, technically, yes, that could be a ghost gun, but there's, there's companies out there who will manufacture a gun that's 80% complete. Uh-huh. And then you have to go in and do the last milling of it technically and so because it's only, because it's not 80%, because it's 80% complete and it's not 100% um, a usable firearm, they don't have to put a serial number on it. Once you complete it, you know, doing whatever milling you're doing on it, 
um, then that's when it becomes a usable firearm, but it still doesn't have a serial number on it. And, and honestly, you can do that with a suppressor. There's companies out there that will sell you a suppressor that's not completed. We'll send it to you, and you have to finish it, drilling some holes, doing some assembling. But technically, it doesn't have a serial number. Well, don't you have to have a, spe- a special permit to have a suppressor? You do, but that permit is based off of a serial number. Okay. So if you don't have a serial number, you can't get the permit. But the government also doesn't know that it even exists. So in the world of suppressors and short barrel rifles and short barrel shotguns, you have to get permission before you can buy it. Um, if, if, it's a, if it's a non-serialized number suppressor, then you don't have to get permission beforehand because there's no serial number. You can't get permission. Gotcha. All right. 815 and some change here on 1350 ESPN. We're visiting with Dave Bloom from JLM Guns for Gun Talk. Dave, hang on. We'll be right back on 1350 ESPN. It's Outdoors Dan on 1350 ESPN. Right. Welcome back to Waking Up the Outdoors at Outdoors Dan on 1350 ESPN. My guest is Dave from JLM Guns. A little gun talk action for you this morning. Uh, hey, uh, let's let's talk a little bit about ammo. I get a lot of people every week, uh, Dan, I'm looking for this, I'm looking for that. What's your ammo situation like, Dave? So, generally speaking, the ammo situation is getting better. But it's still not good. Yeah. Yeah, so... so uh, you know, a week or so ago, we got a bunch of nine and forty-five ball ammo in. The nine's basically gone. It'll be gone by the end of today, and we have a little bit of the forty-five left. But it's still few and far between. And most of the you know very specific calibers, because basically what's happened is all the manufacturers have just put all their attention on handgun rounds and two, two, three, five, five, six. Mm-hmm. That's what's being made right now. So people coming in saying, "Hey, I need some two forty-three." Yeah, you and everybody else. Hey, I need some 6.5 Creedmoor. <laughs> yeah, we haven't seen 6.5 Creedmoor in, in nine months. And, and my guess is we probably won't see some of those more specific hunting rounds until midsummer, getting ready for the fall, because the ammo guys are just like, we're way behind on 9 and 45 and 38 special. We are going to spend all of our time manufacturing the stuff that's in highest demand. Well, was it, is it Federal or Remington that just opened another plant? Well, I think, I think federal, and again, don't quote me on this because this is all secondhand stuff, but I think Remington went out of business and so federal bought them out. And yep. so I think they're gear, they're getting them back up to speed is what I've heard. Yeah. But again, that, that kind of stuff takes a long time. And once you're behind in the whole supply chain deal, it takes a long time to catch up. And I've had a bunch of people come and say, man, there's gotta be some conspiracy going on out there. There's gotta be some reason other than supply and demand for this. And honestly, I don't think that's true at all. I just think that COVID and some bankruptcies and 30 million new shooters created the perfect storm. And once you're behind, it is ridiculously hard to catch up. So honestly, I believe that the, the ammo shortage is going to be here for the next year. It's well, going to be a year before we get back to what we consider normal. Yeah. And I, I was just going to say, if you're planning on doing any fun, any kind of uh, gun hunting this fall, I would go ahead and order or get put it get your ammo now, because if you wait till September or October, there's going to be a lot of folks out there. Remington Plan is running 24 hours a day. John said, Dave. Yeah, um, they all are. They yeah, all are. They're yeah, all running 24. They're all they're all running. Um, I would go ahead and put an order in for your ammo needs now because it might take you four or five months to get it in, right, Dave? Yeah, and 
look, you can always find ammo. You can always find ammo. It's just, are you willing to pay the price? That's the problem. Because right now the stuff online is going for two, three, and four times what normal MSRP should be. Mm-hmm. And so at some point you may be like, well, it's September. I need these bullets. I need my 300 win. Cause I'm heading out to Colorado or Montana to shoot an elk. And you're going to pay, you know, 120 bucks a box where it should have been, you know, 45 bucks a box or something like that. So it, I think you'll always be able to get it. It's just how painful is it going to be to get it? Yeah. That's why I'd put my order in now. So you don't have to do that. Agreed. <laughs> so, hey, what, what's, what's one of the, what's the most popular calibers right now? So, um, pistol calibers are the most popular other than the one rifle caliber that everybody seems to want, which is, you know, two, two, three, five, five, six. So, you know, when somebody comes into the store, uh, there's a reason nine mil is the most popular. And, and, you know, last time we talked, we talked about, um, the philosophy of purchasing guns. And we talked about how, man, ask the right question, clearly define what you're trying to do with the gun. Understand that everything's a compromise. A big, heavy gun is way more enjoyable to shoot than a small, light gun. But a big, heavy gun is really hard to put in your pants versus a small, light gun. The same thing's true for bullets. You know, back in, you know, somebody said, what's the best, what's the best handgun caliber? Well, it's a 44 Magnum. That'll do just about everything you want to do. But 44 caliber is not an enjoyable gun to shoot, especially in a, in a small revolver. So what is the caliber that's the most readily available that's the easiest to shoot that has the best um you know power slash terminal performance all the things and ultimately what you end up with is somewhere around that nine mil and that's why nine mils are super popular yeah i love mine i but i i will say this i know that like my uh my my glock 43 is not as much fun to shoot as my uh my sig m17 yeah you know and yeah, it's, it's a just, big heavy gun with a nice slide. Yeah, is way more enjoyable to shoot. Yeah, but I mean, for carrying purposes, that Glock forty three is the one I carry because just for, for sure. the the weight and I can I can easy access to it now if I need to if I need to use it. Where if my my Sig, it's just more cumbersome and it's not a lot of fun to carry. You're one hundred percent right on that. Yeah, but if you're going to go to the range and shoot, you know, a thousand rounds your SIG is going to outperform your Glock 43 every time. Oh, that thing's a tack driver, man. I love that gun. Yeah, we, we, we had a, We got a SIG. It, it, a 320 is the, the, the civilian version. We had one in yesterday. We posted it on Facebook. It lasted 10 minutes. Yeah. And I had two guys on the phone. And I said, <laughs> look, there's somebody else on the phone. I'm not trying to push you to make this call. But if you want to buy it, you need to buy it. Because if not, I'm, this other guy's going to buy it. The guy's like, yep, I'll buy it. And so we, we literally sold that gun in 10 minutes from posting it on Facebook. And it was, I mean, it's, those figs are, are great guns and people love them. Yeah. Hey, when the shorter version of that gun comes out or when it's available, let me know. Cause I want to buy one of those. Okay. What, is that I'll the, is that, is that the, the shorter one? Is that the 18? Uh, no, I don't think so. I don't know what the, what the model well, the, the is on that one. Well, it's the officer's. It's the, it's just a little bit shorter. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, no, I know what you mean by the shorter, uh, you know, the barrel shorter. But I don't know what the I don't know what the not the number is. For yeah, it. I can't remember either, Dave. But um, I know it's been on back order forever. So, were you looking it up? 
Uh, no, but I can. <laughs> no, I thought I heard pages turning. I was like, don't have to look it up, oh, man. That was on your end. <laughs> <laughs> Good morning, Roger. Oh, man, that's funny. All right. Well, hey, the half hour with you always goes really quick, man. You got anything going on at the shop you want to tell folks about? You know, um, right now we have a lot of guns in. That's the one thing that has caught up a little bit is guns. Mm-hmm. And so uh, if there was ever a time to come in and look at some guns, man, if you come in, we're going to be able to show you a whole bunch of varieties that is really going to help you to narrow down your decision. Because one of the hard things is you come and say, I want a carry gun. And if I only have one or two, well, here's the two you can look at. Well, your, your choices is kind, your choice is kind of limited. But right now I have five or six really good carry guns. They'd be like, oh, wow, this is what the T365 feels like. Oh, this is what the Hellcat feels like. Oh, here's what the 43 feels like. Oh, here's what the Smith & Wesson Shield feels like. You get a much better chance of making a good decision for you because you have more options. And right now we are having a sale on our Smith & Wesson Shield Plus. Probably the most popular carry gun in America right now is the Shield Plus. Carries 13 plus one in a, in a, in a single stack size handgun. Great shooter, phenomenal trigger, probably one of the best triggers in, uh, in the carry market. Carrying 14 rounds. It is a great deal at 499 bucks. So it's, it's, if you were looking for a carry gun, man, come in and take a look at the Shield Plus. And you got those in stock right now? We have 12 of them. 12? Okay. That's... At least we did, we did yesterday. So we got plenty of them in stock. And uh, Smith has been very good about keeping us supplied. So um, if we sell through these, we can get more. So yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> Tell them where they can find you, Dave. We are basically at 70th and Douglas in Urbandale, 515-331-1577's phone number. The other thing, I, one last thing I'll say, and we get a lot of this because we put a lot of stuff on Facebook. It's like, oh, if I'd have known, I would come in or whatever. We will always take orders over the phone. Okay. If you see that we have ammo, you see we have a gun, call, pay for it. It goes in the safe. It waits for you. You come in. You fill out the form if it's a it's a gun, and then you get to take the gun home. So you can, if you see something that we have or you call in and find out we have something, don't wait because, like that SIG, it can be gone in 10 minutes, and that happens all the time. And if they want to look up on Facebook, what do they look for? JLM Shooter Supply. All right, that's easy. All right, buddy, we'll talk to you next month, man. Be safe out there. All right, take care, Dan. Thanks, Dave. There he goes, Dave, JLM Guns. Super nice guy. They got a good crew out there. And they're always fun to deal with. And uh, Dave, Dave treats you right. I like him. And Walt, he's still got Walt out there. Walt's one of the best gunsmiths in the country, in my humble opinion. 831 and some change here on 1350 ESPN. Let me hit a real quick break, and we'll be right back. Good morning, Roger Wild. How you doing, bud? This is Outdoors Dan on Des Moines Sports Leader, 1350 ESPN. All right, welcome back to Waking Up the Outdoors at Outdoors Dan on 1350 ESPN. Lot of pop. We're not going to be at Lot of Pop next week. We had a scheduling conflict come up. So we're moving that back to October 19th. I'll let you know well in advance about that. So don't look for me at Lot of Pop next weekend. Sorry about that. And uh, Archery Field and Sports has got a bunch of of uh, the lethal bug and tick repellent. If you're looking for the spray bottles for your fishing and uh, whatever other octo- outdoor activities you have, go over there and see Market Archery Field and Sports. They got a bunch in stock. Speaking of in stock, one guy that doesn't have anything in stock, that's Smoking Joe Smelter. <laughs> I'm still thinking optimistic, though. I'm, we're we're going to get more inventory. It's going to be a little bit. <laughs> 
We're going to get through this. We're all in it together. Yeah. It's it's a kumbaya thing, right? <laughs> Come on, <laughs> That's right. Mm. That is right. We'll make it. No, you. I was over there the other day, and it's just like, man, I've never seen anything. I, it, and it's just not you. It's a lot of folks. I mean, it's just inventory is yeah. crazy right now. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just the biggest thing. And we're all in the same situation with the microchips, so it just is... Um, can take a little time. I found out a lot with the microchips. It takes about like three or four days just to make one microchip. So um, very, very time consuming. Better get Munson out there and get get him working harder. Yeah. <laughs> get him sweating. Get his little microchip kit going. Yeah. What do you got? So what are you telling everybody? Just come in and pre-order? Uh, that and I mean, we're just in the, we're in the market to, to buy anything too. I mean, I mean, we'll buy anything anytime, but it's just we're more interested in, in buying stuff more now than ever just because we don't have anything on the used side specifically. So if, if anybody's even just thinking about, you know, getting rid of a vehicle that they may have no, any, no more use for, um, I mean, the values are more than they ever have been. And uh, so we'll just, we'll just buy whatever you have. So if you just have no need for it anymore, just come on in and we can sit down and go over the options together, see what you have. And then I can present a value to you and see if it's something that works for you. So, but um, the values are, Unreal on new stuff right now. So. All right. Well, I got to get Jenny's Equinox in there next week, and then I've, I'm, I I got to get an oil change this week, so I'll be okay. up there a couple of times. But if you uh if, if you got something that you are looking to buy, or if you want to pre-order something, or if you got yep. something to sell, where can they find you, Joe? Eleven oh one Southeast or Labor at the Rock, and 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 we are doing ordering. That's kind of our, our main thing that we're doing now, since I don't have anything sitting here. Mm-hmm. Um, GM did give us. Uh, eight vehicles just to kind of at least, you know, so that way you can see something and see what, you know, the options are and what you're potentially buying. And um, then usually orders are probably, uh, I mean, it just depends on what it is. It could be three to four months. It could be a little bit longer. So, but um, yeah, but we'll definitely get, get you something. You get what you want. You'll get what you want. That's yeah, right. That's a good thing. All right. Yep. Cool. All right. And you are, you, when, when's the best time for them to come and see you Mondays and Fridays? I mean, are you, yeah, what, I'm what? here all week. Um, yeah, I'll be here all next week. And then obviously the following weekends, um, Memorial day weekend. So then I'll be here after that too. All right. All right. Smoking Joe Smelter. He'll save you big money. That's right. Yeah. Cause he owns, his bu- right. he owns his building and lot. No, I own my chair. <laughs> he owns, he owns his the chair. chair. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Just look for the, palm, the look for the palm tree. That's right. All right. Thanks Joe. <laughs> later. Appreciate you buddy. Anytime. Thank you, man. There he goes. Smoking Joe Smelter. He saved me a lot of money on my vehicles. Let's go see what Dave is up to this morning. Dave, good morning. Good morning, Dan. What's, How are you? I'm good. What are you up to? Oh, I'm running the, running the two dogs, a black and a chocolate. Well, there you go. <laughs> um, I want to talk about trapping uh, this year. I mean, getting more guys while they're out there hunting or even their deer hunting is to set out a few traps to help. I mean, get rid of some of these nest robin critters. Uh, me and my brother, we set or we trapped on 200 acres of ground this year, and we took a, over 120 of the nest robin critters out of there. Mm-hmm. So when you and, say uh, when you say nest robin critters, what are you talking about? Coon, possums, skunks. Uh, we over 100 of the animals were coon, possums, and skunks. On I mean, just which one, they, just one farm. Terrible. On well, it's two different farms. One's One's 120 acres, the other's 80. Okay. Well, that's, that's a lot. I mean, I put a, you know, like I, you know, and I, I think, you know, listen, the more people we get trapping, the better, but I mean, you know, like what Jim was saying in the first hour, the turkey biologist, you know, it's not just, I always just think of those three myself, but you yeah. got, you got 
chipmunk or you got chipmunks, you got squirrels, you got blue jays, you got crows, you got snakes. There's a lot of things trying to get those eggs. There is a lot. I mean, uh, I found a turkey egg broke open in down in my timber and we've noticed, I mean, the turkey and pheasant population on these two farms. I mean, how bad it's went in the last five years, 10 years. And it's going to be interesting this fall by taking that many of them out of there, uh, whether, you know, you can see the difference, maybe of them coming back. I know my brother said he's never seen a nest. He was hunting mushrooms and found a mallard nest that, you know, nothing had destroyed or anything. So he said, you know, he's had the place 30 years and, and he's never seen a nest on it. So it was, uh, I mean, that's good to hear. And then the other thing I was going to let everybody know that, I mean, the uh, National Trackers Association Convention is in Iowa this year. Oh, that's good. Uh, July 22nd to 24th in Spencer, Iowa. All right. Dave, I appreciate it, buddy. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Appreciate you listening. Yep, there you go. Yep. Bye. There goes Dave. Yeah. We, anytime we get folks out there trapping, it's, it's, it's a blessing. That's for sure. You know, good management and. I just didn't think about all the other critters that were, yeah, it's, it's always, amazing. you know, it's, you know, the possums, the skunks, the ra- or the raccoons, and, you know, then you got coyotes, and then you got foxes, and then, you know, I mean, it, there's a lot of things, so. You just don't realize how many until they well, are counted squirrel, up. Well, squirrel hunting's not huge up here. You know, Missouri, yeah. it's like a national holiday, man. When Memorial Day hits, squirrel season opens up. I mean, it, the, I mean, there's a lot of people out there squirrel hunting. I just don't see that up here. You know, so yeah, it just, you know, it's squirrel. It's what's for dinner. <laughs> you know, uh, it, it's good. You know, I mean, they're, they're good stuff. So, uh, let's see. I told you about lot of pop. I told you about that advanced family dentistry. Are you afraid to go to the dentist? You don't have to be go see my friends over at advanced family dentistry over there at 907 North Ankeny Boulevard in Ankeny, Iowa, 964-1490, 964-1490. That's the home of Dr. Scott Obi-Wan Kenobi Yegi, Dr. Stewart, Dr. Brandt, Dr. Williams. They all do a great job. They are my dentist. I got to go actually see them here in a couple weeks. I've got to get a crown and a cavity filled. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, well, as much as you can. Yeah, I was <laughs> you gonna say, man, you are more more energetic about that. Yeah, than it's just you know, I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sit here and, and say I'm I'm doing cartwheels about it, but I know that they're gonna it's not gonna hurt. Uh, they're gonna take care of me, and uh, I used to I used to really be scared about going to the dentist because when I was a kid, I had a guy try to put a, a cap fix a cavity without numbing me up, and I ever since then I had just had been definitely afraid of dentists. Well, I haven't had that that in, that worry. Since I've been going to advanced family dentistry, they do a great job. They can do all, all the, anything that you would need at, at a dentistry shop from crowns, uh, cavities, root canals, uh, Invisalign, get the smile you always wanted, cosmetic dentistry, TMJ issues, wisdom teeth. They can take care of all of that for you at advanced family dentistry. Um, and if you're new to the area, go check them out online, AnkeniSmiles.com. And, you know, my buddy, Dr. Scott Obi-Wan Kenobi-Yagi, he's a Jedi dentist. He uses the force to calm me down. When you leave, you know what they say? May the floss be with you. The floss will be with you. <sighs> floss, Always. Obi-Wan. Floss. Floss. You're my boy, Blue. <laughs> my boy, Blue. All right, let me take this last break. And when we come back, we got trivia. We got that. We uh, Oh, we got to do mail. We better do mail before we go to break. Oh, yeah. We better go to, we got to do mail. Mail time. Mail time. Mail time. Wait. Oh, yes. Wait a minute, Mr. Bozeman. Wait. Wait. Hey, 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 Mr. Bozeman. 
And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You got mail! Here's the mail, it never fails. It makes me wanna wag my tail. When it comes, I wanna will. Oh, mail. It's time for We Got Mail brought to you by Darren Eilander, American Family Insurance in Ankeny, Iowa. Go see my friend Darren Elvis Eilander. He'll take good care of you. That's who handles my insurance. Uh, this week's question is from Chase Jennings of Des Moines. Chase wants to know, why do you bow hunt everything? Well, that <laughs> Larry McCoy mail time. Yeah, it's mail time, Mac. Larry Mac. Uh, why do I bow hunt everything? Uh, Chase is because I love bow hunting. Why wouldn't I? Um, I I don't know. I just uh, I just I I used to use uh, I used to shoot guns, and I'll be honest with you, I'm way more proficient with a bow than I am a gun. So I I that's why I mostly bow hunt everything. That and that's kind of what I was known for was you know shooting you know shooting a bow. So that's the short answer of it, and not the fact that it's my passion in life. If I can't hear the the old if the you know the old strings you know the schwack. I want to hear the I want to hear the twang of the string going off, and I want to hear the schwack. I can't wait to hear the schwack of Larry Mack. The schwack of Larry Mack. Yeah, Larry says I'm just watching stuff. So you know he's really the schwack of <laughs> the schwack attack. The Mac, the Mac schwack attack. But no, that's why Chase. I I just love bow hunting, man. It's just it's quiet. It's it's uh, it's 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 just something that. I've always enjoyed doing for the last 30 years and um, hopefully I can do it another 30 years. So anyway, Chase is going to get a work sharp sharpening system. If you would like to take advantage of that and uh, try to win one of those, those uh, electric sharpeners, just go to outdoorsdan.com and look for the little cartoon mailbox and shoot me your name, address and phone number and a question. And if I read it here, you'll win. How about that? All right. We'll be right back on 1350 ESPN. I remember when I could broadcast and make sense. It was a good thing. You're listening to Outdoors Dan on 1350 ESPN. All right, that's sound comedian. Only one thing, the most anticipated underrated trivia game in the United States. The Outdoors Dan Trivia Challenge is up. If you haven't won in the last 30 days, you can light them up. 515-244-1350. 515-244-1350. And Andrew will get you lined up while we're doing that. Uh, Respect the Game TV. We are on the Sportsman's Channel. Please check us out on Tuesdays, uh, Wednesdays, Thursdays. Uh, You can also find us on the Hunt Channel. And uh, you can always go to uh, Respect the Game TV on Facebook or Instagram. Check us out there. And uh, we hope you enjoy the show. Larry's got some good hunts, uh, Mississippi and some other stuff on there right now. Uh, Jones Brothers Taxidermy for all your taxidermy needs. Give my buddy Dave and uh, his brother Harv a call. They're both guys. They're both nice guys. 249-4362-249-4362 are the numbers to call. And let's see. I told you about that. Uh, Trivia today is brought to you by the fine folks at Herman's Fine Jewelers, 2900 University in West Des Moines, 222-2600. They got deals going on. If you got treasure to sell, they're giving out good prices right now. If you got stuff you want to trade in or, or sell, go see Herman's Fine Jewelers. Uh, chances are you're going to get more for your money. Been helping people for 38 years. Herman's Fine Jewelers. Let's go see what Dave is up to this morning. Dave, good morning. How are you? I'm doing good. 
Dave, I've got a work sharp, work sharp guided fill sharpener to give away, which is, this is actually one of my favorites because it's got a, a little hidden compartment in there. It's got a broadhead wrench and a bunch of other little nice things. You can sharpen your fishing hooks even with it. Or I've got that cookies barbecue sauce grill pack that's got original sauce, a big jar of flavor enhancer. And if that wasn't enough, you get that Revelton root beer straight from Revelton and Osceola, Iowa. What would you like to shoot for today? I'll try for the sharpener. All right, buddy. Give me one of the beaches that the folks in, went to in Normandy in World War II on D-Day. Well, I should know this because we was all there. Uh, Normandy, a beach. Uh, uh, need to know one of the code name of the beaches. I, I told everybody about uh, it on the radio about an hour ago. Uh, I didn't listen to you earlier, so I, I won't know it. I should know it because we went over and see my uncle over there uh, buried there. But I, I wasn't listening early this morning, so well, that's thank all right. you. Well, that's all right. Well, call me back next week, okay? You betcha. Thank Thanks, you. Dave. Appreciate you. Good morning, Orlando. Let's go see who uh, who's next there. Steve, let's go see what Steve is up to this morning. Steve, good morning. Hi, this is Tibia. Is this Mark or Steve? This is Mark. Okay, well, I thought we had, what happened to Steve? We got to put you on hold real quick, Mark. Okay, thanks. Let's see, where's Steve at? Did Steve hang up? Did we lost Steve? All right. Let's go see what Mark is up to. Well, what do you got to call? Well, let's see if that's Steve first. We got, we got, get, we got, gl we got gremlins this morning. <laughs> Oh, I'm seeing if we got Steve on the line. Andrew's trying to get the button on. No. All right. All right. Well, let's go hit Mark. Mark was up first. All right. So you got Mark. Mark, is this you? Hello, Mark. All right. What are you doing, Andrew? How you doing, Dan? I'm good. Is this Mark? This is Mark. All right, Mark, give me one of the names of the code names of the beaches if you want to win. Omaha. All right, you want the sharpener or the grill pack? I think the sharpener. All right, you got it, Mark. Think we'll see you in 30 days. All right, thanks, buddy. Thank you. All right, and let's we got Terry next. Hey, what are you doing over there? All right, 244-1350, 244-1350, if you want to call in. We still got, uh, we got about three minutes, so I don't know what, I don't know what we're doing. <laughs> hey, while we're, while we're doing that, let me tell you about the Milo Locker benefit. It's going on June 12th. Uh, this is for our, our friend Lacey. Um, that is, uh, Darren's, uh, daughter and, uh, they've been having some medical struggles down there. So we're trying to do a big fundraiser for them. It's going to be June 12th, and they're going to have an online auction with a bunch of stuff. I donated two of my Elite Bows. I've got an Encore and a Cure you can try to bid on. Both of those have, uh, are going to uh, have been on. Those, <laughs> those donuts must be good, Andrew. Shut up, Larry. Uh, uh, let's see. Both of those have been on Respect the Game TV, uh, and so you'll have a bow that's been on national TV. Uh, they've got a whole bunch of other stuff. We got a whitetail hunt that you can bid on to triple H outfitters. That's a $3,500 whitetail hunt. And that's courtesy of our friend over there. Uh, Dr. Obi-Wan Kenobi Yegi at advanced family dentistry. They've got bullets. Uh, you can bid on, they've got baking baskets. They got horseshoe coat racks, smoking wood, home decor. They got, uh, pies. They got knives. They got a whole bunch of other stuff. Just go to, uh, PutneyAuction.com to bid online starting June 12th. 
and they'll, we'll uh, tell you more about that later. Let's go see what Terry's up to. Terry, good morning. How are you? Good, Dan. How are you doing? I'm good. Can I interest you in a Cookies Barbecue Grill Pack and some of that Revelton root beer made right Ab- here in Iowa? Absolutely. Can you? Do you know one of the four beaches that we we uh, invaded in Normandy? Let's go with Gold Beach. Yeah, there you go. Juno, Sword, Gold, and Omaha. That's We need to remember that for next weekend, right? Yep. Hey, uh, we'll call you back after the show, Terry. Congratulations. All right. Thanks a lot. There you go. We got everything done. Um, I want to thank Jim Coffey. Jim did an excellent job this morning, our Iowa turkey deer, bio- or deer biologist uh, from the Department of Natural Resources. And thanks for Dave over at GLM for Gun Talk. I appreciate all the calls this morning. And, uh, hey, we couldn't do the show without you. So we'll be back in studio next Sunday or Saturday morning. And uh, until then, be good to one another. We're all in it together. I will see you here. And don't forget, if you missed any of the show, you can listen to the podcast. It'll be up on Facebook here in a little bit. See you next week. Bye!